That actually causes pain to my brother because it communicates that he's not valuable or he's right. not as valuable. That's right. In this country. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, that can't stay. That cannot stay. Um, and that cannot be the, the foundation of the value system that we want to have. And that's the beautiful thing about repentance. I love Caroline Lee for this because she breaks mm. it down and gives us that hope. Mm. 80% of the brain is regenerative. So you don't have to be stuck in your Powerful. past. The United States needs a cleansing so that her brain can regenerate. Come and stay a while amid the British charm that is called my brain. I'm a journalist and pastor in California, but don't hold that against me. I wasn't brainwashed. I chose to leave my atheism on my own accord, consequently after two sips of Kool-Aid. But that's for another time. These opinions are my own, most of the time. The humour was learned of a book I found in a hedge, and the dreamer in me, well, she's here to stay. So, you're very welcome. That was the word that when we were talking about this podcast, it was like, it feels like the world needs to go through a cleansing. Yeah. And... I do have a question for you, I, and it's a personal one, so you don't have to answer it. Um, what's hurt you the most over these last few weeks? <sighs> Sorry. <laughs> ah, and then you can counteract it. You can counteract it with oh. what's been the most comforting as well. Yeah. So let's do that. Let me just. You can answer one or the other, whichever way No, I'm, I'm willing to answer it because I know that these things are helpful. Well, I think sometimes as well. I'm, I don't know about you, but I'm getting quite tired of everyone giving their opinion. But I do get very moved at the moment. Mm. I think there's a reason with that cute little black girl that was upset about McDonald's being closed and it went like this Aww. huge viral going Aww. around the world. And she was so articulate. Mm. I think she was adopted as well, which mm. made the story even more moving. And she was so passionate about what wasn't happening, what was happening in the world, mm. that everyone was so moved. And it was like, I wonder if the kids are going to have a stronger voice mm. in this moment, because they they still think with their heart. Yeah. As soon as they fall over, they cry. As yeah. soon as they see something, they question why. And I and I know, and this is the power of you. And I see you speak whenever you talk to me, whether it's in front of other people or not. When you tell me what's really moved you, I break. Mm. And I mean, maybe I take some false responsibility there and I go, I'm so sorry. <laughs> what can I do? You know? And then at the same time, I, I, it's important, I think, that mm. we, and this is that, that tender hearted thing that Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. actually was pointing us to is that I never disconnect with someone, even if we're opposing each other. When I feel their vulnerability in there and their beautiful approach to, yeah, but this is what hurt, you know, mm-hmm. and and I and it was so powerful to watch that. And may I don't, I'm sure you saw it of that. I think it was 36 year old black man screaming at a 47 year old black man, yeah, holding onto the side a 16 year old yeah. boy again. This oh, isn't the way. This my isn't the way. I think it was my favorite of all all time. <laughs> Because that kid looked so passionate about mm. what he was fighting for. Mm-hmm. And yet he was so moved by the reverence of this 36-year-old going, mm. I'm still grieving. Yeah. It's gotta be a, there's got to be a better way. Yeah. And you, need to, you need to find the better way. And pulling him up to, to virtues in it. Yeah. That, that one moved me. 
Yeah. Because, it, I mean, the multiple generations that were representative there as mm. well. And people could finally get a look at even how we don't necessarily agree on how it needs to be done. Yeah. Because people were hurt. We're tired, tired of hurting. I bet. We're tired of hurting. We're like, we're just looking for the method that, that really gets your knee off our neck. Yeah. Yeah. Like... Period, for once and for all. We're just looking for that method. And it is it is a panic. It's and a panic anger. And I and I think we all do. Yeah. If if all of us were faced with that relative yeah. in front of us. Yeah. I, I know what it's like to lose my father. I, I pray every day for the for the daughter mm. and think about how she'll heal, how she'll grow, mm. what she'll take on as her mantle now, mm. you know. And and then I think about you and Lila and all of my beautiful mm. friends around me that it's, it's hurting them yeah. in so many different facets. And I'm just intrigued with you, like what hurt you the most over this time that you feel you can publicly share? Yeah, oh, I, I, can, <laughs> I can share. I, I feel like in order for me to share some of it, I've got to you write I've some got stuff to down. Google something really quick. Okay. Um, it won't take me long because it's pretty, um, it's pretty popular. But, I, you know, if I'm going to talk about my pain, I actually have to talk about the church. Yeah. Because that's where the, the bulk of my pain has come from. Um, so much of, whew, so much of my pain has come from unmet expectations with the bride of Christ. With, with I mean, I, I put my trust and my faith in the bride because mm. God still uses her yeah. and still chooses to. And so, um, you know, there's so many elements of it where I'm just like, God, why are they the ones that are causing so much of the pain when we're supposed to all be the solution together? Mm. Um, and, you know, just to get even very specific, when things got really ugly with the George Floyd situation, when so many people were awakening to the fact that this is very alive in the United States, I feel like it was really hitting the core of people and in the core of the church, like a lot of even white charismatics and evangelicals were reaching out to me and saying, this feels so different. I don't even know what to say. And many of them were weeping and crying. And I'm like, that is really, it's really touching them on a visceral level. Um, and then, you know, even looking in the black community, seeing a lot of people who are normally numb, that they could not remain in their numbed state. I'm like, this is, this really is different. There's something, which is why I said earlier, I feel like it was like an Emmett Till situation. It reverberated throughout the universe. And it was like the blood of Abel crying out from the ground. And um, the sin of Cain was on display. And, you know, we have now, or I would say shortly after all of that awakening, um, it felt like we had great momentum, like we were really gonna get somewhere. And where I started to receive a lot of pain was, you know, in, from the church, Um, and the church's, the Western church's inability to sit in pain um, and very quickly centering themselves and making it about themselves and making it, (laughs) making it, making it a requirement that we have all the solutions and that um, if you're not talking about action, then you're just trying to wallow in the pain. And then it, it welled up to the whole, like to a whole nother level when as people began to do research, uh, instead of looking at this issue in the United States through the lens of the kingdom for compassion and for the story, many people just ran to conspiracy theories or they looked at it through the lens of hyper-conservatism. And all of a sudden now you've got the accusation of this is the Marxist agenda and, and um, 
and they began to politicize real pain. And all it translated to was it made me feel like we're just not valuable enough to you for you to fight for us. Wow. You have to always have a squeaky clean, a squeaky clean, without a shadow of a doubt, well prepped and, you know, um, fail proof method or, or, or I don't know, like, I can't even think of the Tried proper word. Tried strategy. Of yeah, some sort. anything in order to see black lives as valuable enough to fight for like brothers. Mm-hmm. Like I think about fa- my family and we've dealt with some addiction and stuff in my family. And because he's my family, we choose like like my uncle, my brother, we, like we choose them as family and and we'll fight for them because they're valuable, even if they've done us wrong in a moment or right. even if like we don't quite understand their pain and the addiction or the whatever. Um, but in this setting, it was like the church who should be the one sitting with the marginalized, with the oppressed, with the wounded, with the hurting was like, nope, I'll make it all about politics. And unless it checks out with my politics, then I don't actually see your pain as valid. Oh, by the way, systemic racism isn't real. This is a Marxist agenda. You need to wake up. They're using you again. And, you know, all of the like, wow. listen to this video and it's a Candace Owens video or a David Harris Jr. video or, a, you know, like the list goes on. And I have nothing against those individuals and respect them and their right to have a, a difference of opinion. But empirical evidence and, and statistical evidence shows these are actually real problems. And and I myself have experienced them uh, in, in real ways uh, from the racial bias to systemic, uh, institutionalized, like all of these things. Um, and in that moment, I'm just like, I, I hold fast to Dr. King's six principles of nonviolence. And so I hold fast to the fact that we fight evil, not people. But yeah. the fact that the church became the enemy in that moment, mm. it broke me. It broke me to see that we were the, we're the ones that's supposed to be the most equipped but we were being pulled by the political strings, that my white brothers and sisters were being so pulled by the political strings that they couldn't even weep with those who weep and mourn with those who mourn because they think that the pain was invalid because we're being used by the left. Wow. And I'm like, honey, then that lets me know you don't know the story. Mm. You don't know the story. Because, mm. I mean, like, when you really know the story, then you know that Democrats and Republicans have all used the black community, have all brought oppression to the black community. We're still the orphan in the nation trying to find a home because you originally took us from it. Mm, you know, yeah. like, and when will the spirit of adoption sweep in and say, you're enough and I can sit with you in this pain, even if it's infected and it's metastasized and I can stand in the gap. You know, one thing that we do so beautifully at, um, at Bethel Church and BSSM in different moments. It's like if we feel God on someone's freedom in the room, let's mm-hmm. say, and I've seen this happen several times, like mother wounds or father mm-hmm. wounds. Let, let's just say father wounds. And and someone in, and they feel like God is on healing father wounds in the room. And I've seen men in the house, pastors, fathers in the house, get on a microphone and say, this is what I feel God is doing. And so on behalf mm-hmm. of fathers who have abused you, I say, I'm sorry, on behalf of... And, and this is the thing. The black community ain't looking for an apology. No. But we are looking for ownership. Absolutely. And, and when we say ownership, we don't need the type of ownership that says, I did it. 
But we need the type of ownership that says no longer on my watch. Absolutely. That's the kind of ownership that we need. When these individuals get on stage and say that kind of a thing, I want I want to see your wholeness, your healing. They're not centering themselves. No one is saying that, oh, you're an abuser. Oh, mm-hmm. you're you're oh you're a rapist because you're yeah. standing in the gap on behalf of fathers who rape mm-hmm. their children. No one's actually saying that about them. And here's the yeah. kicker: they actually don't believe that they are no. because they are so standing in the in they the core it. of their identity yeah. and who they know they are. They know that there's there's an authority within them to actually break the curse or the oppression or 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 that invalidation that was inserted by these other men that committed mm. these acts. That is what we're dealing with in our mm. day. We did not, we're, in, we're all inheriting, or, or excuse me, we are all inheriting mm. what those from before built, the systems that they built, the decisions that they made, the, all of that. Like I did not experience slavery. However, I inherited the trauma of it. And so it's my responsibility to go on the healing journey. Right. Right. White people did not, that exist today, did not create slavery in the world and certainly did not begin slavery in this nation. However, they have certainly inherited the benefits of it, the systems of it that allow them to still be on top and black people to still be Mm. on the bottom or to have trickles that can make their way towards the top, Mm. but yet the masses still on the bottom. We're not saying you are guilty. No. We are saying, will you take ownership of the brothers in this land that actually are not being treated as brothers? Yeah. And it's a whole different type of ownership it, it it it's actually the what i believe is the true patriotism yeah. um the, not the kind that's like so holding on to your own personal freedom that you're th- you're not thinking about other people's freedom absolutely but the one that's like i'm actually going to use my freedom to make sure you do have freedom right. use my freedom to make sure you do have equality because i believe that you're a brother i believe that you're a sister in this land and i'm going to stand in the gap Right. And and not just say, I'm sorry, but say, no longer on my watch. Absolutely. It's the kind of ownership we need today. Um, the, the, the type of pain that I, that I experienced, um, the only place I got solace was uh, with Dr. King's words. When I, mm. I mean, when I say experience, I'm actually still experiencing it. It is, it is because a lot of the, the white church, you know, it, it goes back to that principle when I think about like, the, the kingdom of God is not a democracy. The kingdom of God is not a, a democratic republic yeah. nation. Like yeah. the kingdom of God is the kingdom, meaning that his subjects actually don't have an opinion. It's the yeah. king's opinion, yeah. you know, like, which is very difficult yeah. for us because we're Americans. We're very used to having our opinions, yeah. our rights. These are our first amendment rights. How dare you? And if you impede upon my rights, you know, like you are just fill in the blank. And I've experienced some words on online. Um, <laughs> And it's and what's so interesting about the kingdom is so much of it is about laying those things down for the sake of brothers. Like if it actually creates a stumbling block, or mm-hmm. if 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 it actually doesn't benefit discipleship or the advancing of the kingdom to like lay some of these freedoms down. Um, but when there's like this 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 is one of the moments of pain. I would have conversations with people about this, and they would ask me really personal questions, and I'd begin to lay out my life and my mm-hmm. vulnerability. But it would be met with the Constitution. Gosh. And I'm like, this is really interesting how I'm bringing my vulnerability, my story, my life, or I'm bringing the story of it. the, rather, just, rather than just listening to it. But then even worse than that, you're not even quoting the Bible. You're quoting the Constitution. Mm-hmm. Let's me know what you're checking in with before you check in with Jesus. Mm-hmm. Wow. That has been the major pain right. to find that the church has a major idol. And it's, it's difficult so for us to see through yeah. it. 
I, I, it, it makes you wonder as well with, you know, Britain, of course, we don't have the constitution. <laughs> so so, so we, we have our own journey over there, that's for sure, and our own um, preferences, check-ins, yeah. which doesn't involve the constitution. But I, I'm sorry that's an added layer to it because... If I, if I, and I do wonder whether, oh, I've got to be careful what I say now, but because we don't have that in England, mm. I'm, not suggest, I'm not suggesting I'm disagreeing with the constitution. I'm just mm. saying, because I, I don't know it inside and out. I wasn't brought up, I wasn't educated mm-hmm, on mm-hmm, it. Mm-hmm. I had to learn it whilst I was over here in America to understand the culture, yeah. to understand the people. But I, I'm very aware of the power of someone just listening to you. Yeah. Um, I'm very aware of our Lord in so many moments mm. when when the outrage of opinions comes slauntering through the room. Yeah. And the Lord just goes, hold up. Mm. And allows this person to be seen, mm-hmm. to be understood, even if mm-hmm. they were in the utmost wrong of all of it. Mm-hmm. They <laughs> seem to get the stronger voice than anyone else in the room yeah. by the end of it. because. Um, yeah, and and that's where I, this, the, the what I care so much for peace and stillness hmm. in all of these conversations mm-hmm. that I, when I see it be lost, hmm. I feel the presence go too. Mm-hmm. And when we're dealing with truth, when we're telling the truth, it must always come with compassion. Yeah. When I'm hearing your truth, it must always be met with my compassion towards you. Yeah. And I've learned so much more when I've shut up. Mm. And I matured so much quicker when I put my opinion down. <laughs> wow. And um, and I, I learn more and more that I know less and less about yeah. the world and all the problems. You know that I think that's the ebb and flow of humanity as mm. well, because it's not that's not even just unique to you being white. I think yeah. that's just what every human actually needs, you know, to do when there's an emphasis on a specific party, people group, or whatever. Like we're we're used to in the information age, being able to have quick opinions out there as fast as we want to. And our research is the latest blog. And, you know, yeah. and and I want to make sure I, I'm very clear about something. Mm-hmm. I'm very grateful for our constitution. Okay. It has been the thing that has allowed us to fight for our equality. Yeah. It has yeah. been the very thing. So I'm actually very grateful for it. Totally. The thing that brings me pain mm. is when we're having conversations and I'm trying to help the church see that it is a spirit of adoption issue, mm-hmm. that this is a family issue, that this is an ongoing situation where a people group has been so marginalized and so oppressed and so placed down. Mm-hmm. And then you begin to quote the constitution, center yourself and think about what freedoms you're going to be losing. Mm-hmm. That is what brings extreme pain. Right. Uh, because I go, you missed it. You missed it. You, you completely missed it mm-hmm. because you wanted to protect you. And, and which communicates that where's our trust in the Lord? Mm. Because that it communicates we have a lack mentality, yeah. that there's not enough. Yeah. And there's more than enough. He died that there would be more than enough. Yeah. And, and it's okay if he wants to have an emphasis for a moment. Yeah. Like, because it's unto healing so many, many things that I don't even think we have our thumb on. Right. We don't even realize the trickle effect that it's going to have right. when we lean in and go, let's heal that thing. You know, especially looking at the fact that it's been for the 400th year anniversary since slavery first started. And that was 2019. Now we're in 401 years. And the the oppression has just evolved over the years to the point where people think it doesn't exist anymore. 
And yeah. then, and what's sad is if you if you don't know the story, you won't be able to actually see that it does exist. Yeah. Like, wow, that shows up in that way. It used to be way more blatant, but isn't that like redlining? Yeah, that's exactly what that is showing up today. Oh my gosh, I can't believe they made these particular decisions to discriminate against these individuals with their loans. And I mean, start looking at statistics, you even find out black women who are the most educated, a black woman who has the, a, uh, like a perfect credit score in degrees uh, is still turned down more times for loans than white individuals who have shallow credit scores and no degrees. Why? I don't know. Gosh. It's because it's, just, it's in the system. It's, it's wired in there. And, and some of it, yeah, it could be the implicit biases. Some of it could be what they're told to look for. Wow. Yeah, but there's so many layers that we've got to be willing to look at and own and, and believe that we're actually strong enough to do it. Yeah, believe that we actually have the courage, the bravery, the backbone that we can do it because we do have the American dream. Do we really want to be her or do we just want to hold on to the idea of her? Absolutely. Because to be her means you got to... Well, it's painful. You gotta, it's painful. <laughs> and it's going to cost you. Yeah. But we want, we're the generation where we don't want anything to cost us. No. We don't want anything to cost us. Perseverance isn't really something that we revere in this generation. I don't think it's been revered in any generation. It was kind of like, you've got to suck it up and show up every day, kiddo. Mm-hmm. That was kind of the generation that my parents, my parents' parents had to yeah. navigate. And I, but I think on, on some level that told us to just ignore all pain and just keep on plowing on. Exactly. We're, we're getting into a better space of recognising the importance of pain and actually in order mm-hmm. to be able to grow and stretch that muscle, we have to be able to mm-hmm. sit directly in it and then mm-hmm. face it, learn wisdom, compassion, and over and over again we go. But every time we're building and getting better, you were yeah. going to read something. Yes. This will just close up the part about the church because the, the place where I found solace was actually in Dr. King's words. Oh. Um, when he was jailed in Birmingham... Um, he wrote a letter because there was an article that came out in the newspaper written by clergymen, um, signed by various clergymen who were basically condemning his movement, condemning his methods, excuse me, and making it as if he was this vigilante (laughs) who was causing a a ruckus and that and that we should, you know, the, the language was used, these things take time. You go, go about it, you know, with, in decency and in order. Um, there are, you know, things within the justice system that are in place for these very reasons, not realizing that <laughs> that's why he's doing what he's doing, because Lady Justice, Lady Liberty was not actually working for us. May work for you, but wasn't working for us. There, was, there were too many injustices and the justice system was not working. Um, and and he wrote this letter because this was not this was not you know the, the police chief that that sicked all the dogs on them and the the fire hoses or whatever. This was the church, okay. the church who should be the bride that ushers in the very kingdom of God in this area. And I'm just gonna read an excerpt of it. He says, first, I must confess that over the past few years, I have been gravely disappointed with the white moderate. I have almost reached the regrettable conclusion that the Negro's great stumbling block in his stride toward freedom is not the white citizen's counselor or the Ku Klux Klanner, but the white moderate, who is more devoted to order than to justice, who prefers a negative peace, which is the absence of tension, to a positive peace, 
which is the presence of justice, who constantly says, I agree with you in the goal you seek, but I cannot agree with your methods of direct action, who paternalistically believes he can set the timetable for another man's freedom, who lives by a mythical concept of time and who constantly advises the Negro to wait for a more convenient season, shallow understanding from people of good, excuse me, shallow understanding from people of goodwill is more frustrating than absolute misunderstanding from people of ill will. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. It, wow. it went through me and, and I was like, just, just the peace of knowing that he dealt with the same thing. Mm. And at, while at the same time facing sheer brutality in the place where it was really breaking me, you know, like we were going to even talk about terms, you know, white supremacy, white privilege, white fragility, things like that. They're very triggering terms. I understand why. Um, what white uh, privilege really shows its head in those moments in the church, because within the current power structure, white people have always been able to dictate the timetable. White people have always been able to dictate the methods in which they approve of how it's going to happen because it's very clearly their society. But I'm like, if we keep going by your timetable, I'm still suffering in the meantime. Mm. So you can go on and it feels fine for you because mm. it doesn't really affect you. You're only thinking about your level of comfort, but we're really bleeding out over here. Yeah. You know, like there, I was raised in the hood. I've seen the bleed outs. I, I, the only time I haven't been working in the hood has been since I've been in Redding, California, because there isn't much of the, the, the hood as I know it to be as, as, as far as it pertains to African-Americans. And I'm just like, it's very convenient for you to have that mindset because you don't have proximity to the suffering. Yeah. You don't have, you're, you're not in the trenches. You don't know what it's like, yet you want to make all the decisions about how this needs to go. And it, it's very painful when it comes from your own that, that throw the word family around, but can't seem to catch wind of the spirit of adoption. Right. And it, huh, yeah. Sometimes it ends me. And I just, you know, I get my little <laughs> bouts with Jesus and I'm just like, you got to do something with your bride. I'm done with her. <laughs> I'm done. I'm done with her. Do you know what? It's funny, actually, because um, Graham Cook was at a conference last year and um, in England. And <laughs> he said, you know, one of the reasons why, and I'm going to paraphrase him, but he said, one of the reasons why I think Jesus hasn't returned quite yet is He's sitting at the right hand side of the father, going, looking down and going, I'm, I'm not marrying that. <laughs> she ain't beautiful yet. <laughs> Bring in some more oil. He said it's like someone just slapped a bit of lipstick on and hoped that they'd have a good first date. <laughs> just like, I mean, she's a bit brilliant. overweight, really a bit full of herself. And so, yeah, I, I, all I ever want to do is say I'm sorry. <laughs> But I, that's not enough. And a podcast isn't enough. And writing articles about it isn't enough. And hoping to foster children doesn't feel like enough. But if these moments can actually prepare the heart of the bride mm. to be activated, mm. then I see it as catalytic unto what will be enough. Okay. You know, like, I think that's been the part where I've 
I've been trying to figure out what it, what is even my calling in all of this. God, mm. you know, so many people talk about you're so anointed. I'm like, get more specific. <laughs> you know, I'm yeah, like, yeah. what what is it? I know I make movies. I know I write plays. I know I do spoken word poetry. I know I teach. I know there's something that slices through. But I'm like, if I can just get a dead beating heart mm. in the church to wake up to this, to wake up to the humanity in this, the, the, the fact that Jesus himself decided to enter into humanity mm-hmm. so that divinity could feel alive in humanity and then that and as he was so are we in this world that we could be that in this area then so be it like like, you have uh, you have woken up hearts you are waking up hearts you will absolutely wake up hearts and i think the most important part of all of this tea is as you grieve behind closed doors um i only hope there are moments and i hope I can bring them, but that there are many other people around you that bring the comfort, that bring the I'm with you, that hold your hands, mm-hmm. that hold the glass of water as you're speaking down a microphone, wherever you like, whatever it looks like, that um, I know that people have been deeply impacted by what you share because you are not just wanting to speak down a microphone and charge people with a new hope or a new activity you actually still are willing to listen to the misunderstandings, the naiveties. The podcast was the, with the Carrie Lloyd three years ago. It's like, <laughs> what about these questions? And what about these figures? And what about, you know, desperately wanting to understand. I'm trying to be even kind to naive Carrie. Yeah. That is still naive um, because at least she's trying. Mm-hmm. And she's trying to do something. And I think there's... I know there's so many of us that are sort of sitting there sort of wide-eyed going, I don't want to do nothing, but I don't know where to start. Mm. Um, but I think what you've been sharing has been very helpful. Did you want to just check on a couple of terms, though? Oh, yeah. Because I know that a lot of us are really nervous about... Very nervous. I, I want to empower the church to know that we get to go with the Holy Spirit on this journey. Yeah. I mean, culture doesn't have the Holy Spirit, so I don't know how they're doing it. I mean, <laughs> well, you can tell, look, it ain't doing well. <laughs> but we have the Holy Spirit, and, and there are some terms, and these terms are not brand new. Mm-hmm. That's the, you know, things like maybe white fragility, that probably is a, a newer term that's popped up. But when you look at, like, the term white supremacy, you know, um, so when I say white supremacy groups, mm-hmm. is that I'm going to be really, I'm just going to be really honest. That's what I I regard that as a group of white people that are mm-hmm. choosing to be very very racist mm-hmm. and very exclusive. Mm-hmm. Let's break down just the phrase white yeah. and supremacy. Yeah, take out the word groups. Okay, because most people they insert groups for their comfort level because but that's actually, where we've been able to keep it contained over there and it doesn't actually apply to us. Sure, sure, sure. So yeah, we think about the KKK. We mm. think about, you know, like these extremist groups that mm. are over there and and we all agree they're the problems of society. Like mm. that is not we're far from that. Mm. But white supremacy, when you go back and just look at the history of how this country was founded, it was founded on white supremacy. It was the ideology that was running rampant that uh, informed their decisions, you know, mm. that that allowed them to think that black individuals were not actually human. Mm. That that's why that you could that's why they allowed them to uh, operate and experiment on black women to try to figure out what's going on in their reproductive system and then saying things like, oh, well, they're black. They don't actually feel pain. 
Wow. You know, like it, it was so that's in our health system because, you know, all these findings that we have on on women's health are actually from the brutalities and the tortures and the torment towards black women. Um, you you look at white supremacy and it's it just breaking down the term white being supreme. supreme. So meaning mm-hmm. everything must trickle down in a hierarchical status underneath it. Mm-hmm. And then and then the protection of that supremacy is what shows up in those different statutes that were, were passed to keep whites on top and others on bottom. Mm-hmm. You know, coming to the United States or, well, excuse me, back when it was just open land, it, it, it was that very framework, that mindset that said these in, indigenous people here, they are not valuable. They are savages. And we must, because we have the supreme way, because our way is best, uh, we must civilize them. That is white supremacy. Uh, and, and that wound has not been healed in this nation with the indigenous, uh, with, with, with Jim Crow and what happened even after slavery. Yes, the Ku Klux Klan came on the rise, but then the government itself began to implement Jim Crow laws, segregationist laws that continue to communicate white is more valuable. Here are the white, co- uh, the white watering fountains. Here are the colored water fountains. Here, uh, black people, uh, colored people, must go, and when I say colored people, that phrase has been retired, but this is the, the mm-hmm. phrase that was used in that time in the, the Reconstruction era up until the Civil Rights Movement. But colored people had to go around back in order to, to patronize certain businesses. Um, they were not allowed to sit in diners. They were not allowed to ride on, in the front of the bus. They were not allowed to do those things by law. Uh, there were even like, you know, Civil Rights Act of 1964, there was actually a different civil rights act or bill that was passed before then, Mm -hmm. but because there wasn't the um, actual execution of that law in society, because there was an ideology in society that white was superior, there were so many black individuals that were actually voting uh, shortly after slavery, but then when they began to to, uh, brutalize them for voting, burning crosses in their front yard, killing individuals, um, just just all kinds of the torture and the torment that came with that. I think it was in Louisiana. It went from 30,000, or excuse me, over 100-something thousand voters to 5,000 voters after this this crazy, these crazy acts of of brutality towards them and acts of violence towards them. This is supremacy. So when you look at like even our 13th Amendment, I think Mm. in the last podcast I had recommended 13th, the the film. When you look at the 13th Amendment, there is a loophole because it says that slavery can exist if people are incarcerated. So when you look at things like, and I'll give people an actual an actual moment where here's what, how white supremacy shows up in such an incognito way. Um, in the 60s, 70s, um, even into the 80s, crack cocaine began to burst on the scenes in, in the black communities. Because there had been even so much oppression, the, the um, what do you call it, the employment rates plummeted. Um, and, and what do you have when you have a lot of unemployment? You have a lot of disparity, you have a lot of poverty, and a lot of bad coping mechanisms. Uh, some of the FBI actually infiltrated certain communities with drugs and certain individuals got access to it. And it ended up being, an, I mean, a crisis on our hands with so much, like, with drugs. Mm-hmm. What does our country do? We are going to have a war on drugs. So we have a mental health problem in the black community right now, but it's a war. So they criminalized it. And the, the amount of people who were incarcerated increased in droves just over the period of a decade to the point where there's more people 
locked up that are people of color, more black people locked up right now than they ever were in slavery yeah. in the, in yeah. the nation. Yeah. Sad statistic. Yeah. But the communication where I talk about supremacy, what is communicated to us now is we have the same kind of crisis happening, just not with the black community. It's with the white community, with opioids. Mm-hmm. And what is happening? It is not a war on drugs. It is an opioid crisis that we need to come around, that we need to bring our arms around, that we need to love on people and increase mental health care. Hey, don't be so quick to criminalize this stuff. Let's 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 understand that people are the unemployment is low and there's this ability to humanize it here. But over here, criminalize it. And all of these individuals, I find it quite interesting that there's so many black people incarcerated right now for smoking weed. And now we have a booming business of marijuana and they have not been let go from jail from smoking weed. Wow. They have not been let go from jail from selling weed. And people are now making, they're becoming millionaires and billionaires off of a marijuana industry where, because it wasn't legal in that day, it's not, it's not possible for, for, the, for that community. And it's like the, the understanding that when you put the two side by side, the acknowledgement that that ideology still exists in our system. So even if it is on paper that there should be equality, it is still interpreted through humans and it is still executed through humans. And then there are still loopholes in certain spaces of how it was written because we are an ever evolving country that is still catching up on its sins. And and the, the major mistake is to believe that we've arrived at perfection. The, to believe we've arrived at perfection, Gosh. to think that our only progression is to get more powerful or to get more rich. Yeah. No, how about we get more virtuous? Mm-hmm. How about we get more humble? How about we get more real? How about we get more healthy? How about we, we, we get more connected? How about that be the measurement of our success of a country? Amen. Um, and that's the invitation. And white supremacy is a major trigger because then people, they think that we're talking about white people, but we're talking about an ideology where whiteness is supreme and there's a hierarchical structure in society from that concept, that idea. And I know a lot of people get triggered. I'll be very brief on this because you know we talk for hours on this one. <laughs> but I believe the phrase white, when, it's, when it shows up in white privilege, white supremacy, white fragility, it's so triggering in people. I believe specifically in, in, in white individuals because they've so wrapped their identity in whiteness. Wow. And, and not in their true heritage. Uh, because what is white? When I think about and I look at scripture and I look at the beauty of ethnicity in scripture, people were always connected to land. They were always connected to to the genealogy of that land, to the encounters. You know, I, I like to use this as an example. Like if, if a land in the, in the scripture, if a land encountered the God of Shalom, then they named the land Shalom. And then everybody that came from that land was a Shalomite. Like you were actually named after the spiritual encounter with the with the earth there, with God and, and land. And there's this identity that's connected to it. And there's this heritage, this tradition, this culture, this whatever. And so many people like to say, well, white people don't have culture. That's why we love black culture. I'm like, ah, blackness in the United States has to exist because we had to make something with nothing. Because we did not know whether we were Nigerian or Cameroon or from the Ivory Coast or Ghanaian. We we didn't know. We didn't have those customs to pull on, but we did have rhythms of it. We did have the essence of it, how we laugh wide and grin big and cook full and, and, and still have a grit and a level of forgiveness and super spiritual and crazy entertainers. Like we had these things that even when I look at my Nigerian friends and, 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 uh, friends from, from Namibia, I'm like, I feel 
like you, you know, yeah, like, and yet yeah. I've never been to Africa, but we had to make blackness here. But when white people came here, they actually didn't have to do that. There's something they forfeited. There's something they exchanged. I look at Italians and I go, oh, but they didn't exchange a thing. Like, you go know that they are Italian, their food, their wine, their loudness, their passion, their in your face, their family, their kisses, they're all of that. Beth, are you listening? You've got Beth in the background. I She's love Italian. It. Some of my favorites are Italian. Some of my yeah. favorite, favorite, absolute favorite, like thespian teachers were Italian. And yeah. and I think I so identify with them because they owned who they were. Mm. And and when we've made that exchange and you feel like people are scrutinizing whiteness, but you don't know what it looks like to be Norwegian or to be Sweden, Swedish or 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 to be, you know, I don't know, from Wales or, you know, like if you were connected to that yeah. and we started to scrutinize whiteness, you wouldn't be so offended. Mm-hmm. You'd be like, yeah, what is that construct? Well, yeah. let's talk about that because it's actually not attacking you and your true heritage. There's a healing journey that I believe the Lord even wants to take the white community on to, yeah. to reconcile with who they are in their true heritage and the anointing that sits on their tribes yeah. that should be passed down that was given up for a concept of whiteness. So good. Because what is it? We can't even really, con- we can't even really describe whiteness without inserting power construct. Mm. And that is a counterfeit. That is what the enemy has tried to get us to wrap our minds around as truth, and it's not. And when we look at white supremacy, I'm not saying all these Europeans, all these Norwegians, all these you know Welsh individuals. No, we're talking about what the world or what this country created to mm. be an oppressive ideology mm. uh, that came out of this infraction towards image bearers yeah image bearers that's it and when we talk of it in that in that regard we can really get somewhere and and when we all go on a journey of finding out who we really are i believe we'll get somewhere so i think i mean like you said there's so much much to discuss there's so much to talk about (laughs) and i i mean it's so much I probably asked you a few things, three books that you'd recommend for people to read that mm-hmm. have been really mm-hmm. good for your soul. Mm-hmm. And you think to yourself, I mean, I, you and I, the other week were sharing, I love Walter Wink's Jesus and Nonviolence, mm-hmm. The Third Way, mm-hmm. one of my most favorite books that I was reading last year. And then you lent me your copy because I had my copy. In- <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but three books that you'd recommend. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so for the church, I'd yeah. recommend reading... Um, Divided by Faith. Okay. Uh, it is a really great look at the history of how the church has been, um, has opted out of being a part of, of this journey. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they do a really great job of breaking down the history. Okay, great. As well, and, great. and, and the church's participation. And, and giving great terms. Um, I, I believe it was written by two white men. And so they, they break down oh, wow. what a, a racialized society is so that we can understand the lens from which we oftentimes look at this and don't even realize that we don't look at this because yeah. such a racialized society. We just talk about race like every, every day. Yeah. You know, it's just so, yeah. some people come here, you know, that are internationals are like, why is everything about race? We're like, we're yeah. in a racialized society. Yeah. Um, but they, they really break things down and how we've opted out. Um, I, I've, I've had a, a, an, a, an honor of building a relationship with Daniel Hill. He's a pastor in Chicago, and he's written this uh, incredible book called White Awake. He actually mm. has another book that's on its way out soon as well. But I would so recommend that book. He takes such a pastoral journey on it, um, and it, it, it helps people understand um, like what we're really dealing with, yeah. you know, um, what we're really dealing with in, in, in tangible ways to, to actually get, get in it. That's to really, really get good. in it. 
Um, goodness, another book. Like, what am I reading right now? Um, gosh, you know, I sometimes like to throw in a novel. And um, and this one's a little bit, you know, there's some moments in the book you're like, why is she having me read this? Right. But I'm I'm an artist. I'm a I'm a writer. I'm a thespian, you know, all those things. But my favorite book was written um, in early to mid 1900s by this man named Ralph Ellison. He's actually from Oklahoma. And the book's called Invisible Man. It's actually mm. about the black experience. And um, and it's unique because you see this man navigate throughout life and experience all these horrible moments from like witnessing trauma in the black community and incest to you know being used as as uh entertainment in a fighting ring right um to like just the brutalities and the and the way that it shows up in in family dynamics and economy and all of this Mm. and you you get to the end of the book and you go gee did he ever mention his name Wow. And it's, it's so fascinating wow. to see, like, how he writes this book. He wrote it in such a beautiful way that's, like, you you you're still try to, ask, ide- you're, you're right. left asking all these questions. Yeah. You're left trying to find the human, trying to find the person. Try- yeah. And that's actually, like, where we're at as a nation still. And it, it's people gonna in say, the of the I story. I mean, what a way to kind of finish the podcast. Mm-hmm. I'm still wanting to ask a thousand more questions. Still wanting to ask. But I'd rather that than thinking I've got a conclusion mm. when this has never really been my story other mm. than something I just have to painfully watch my friends no. go through. And I know that my ancestors have contributed to this pain. Mm. I, I'm going to do a shameless plug of your book because... <laughs> I mean, you have so beautifully articulated the spine that we need right now. Mm. And I feel wow. like if the church grasped hold again of nobility, oh man, I get emotional just thinking about it. Like if we made that the highest option that we would choose, compassion would fall right in line. Solutions would come because we would step out of criticism and into creativity. Yeah, we'd be inspired. Oh, we'd be inspired. Our hearts would be open to inspiration. Well, the irony is, of course, is that you know the PR team for HarperCollins are gone. So sorry, guys. This is just, I, of course, it's unprecedented times, but we are unable to get this book being mentioned in a lot of media outlets because they don't feel it's relevant to either a pandemic or indeed wow. <laughs> the injustices that America is facing with racism. And I, and I just, I went, I'm sorry, I thought this is exactly I, what I mean, I'm over here like it's exactly, because you know what? This is because we're in the convenience information age. So yeah. we're like speak directly, but you're actually speaking to the grit, the heart, and the core values that right. people should have in order to live it out. Yeah. People are asking, tell me what to think. You're teaching people how to think yeah. with your book. It, it, it's like building within the people, the type of people that go change the world, not just what action should I check off my list to change the world. And we need that so desperately. We need the Dr. Kings of our day to rise yeah. up. We just had two incredible, beautiful men of of the civil rights movement just pass away. Oh. One of them being John Lewis. And oh. I mean, such a hero, uh, leader of SNCC, uh, led the first ever march uh, on Selma that was Bloody Sunday. I mean, grit, 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 grit. Heart, 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 heart. Love, 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 mm. love. Who's making them like that again? 
I know. I'm we've like, lost, we need that. We've lost those virtues, and that was one of the reasons why I was writing this book on nobility, because it's, it's when I ask what's the noble choice, my response to injustice, my response to chaos, my response mm. to hurt and pain changes. Yes. And so I, I think this even with this moment, what's the noble choice? The noble choice was to not promote this book on Blackout Tuesday. Yeah. <laughs> the noble yeah. choice was to stand with my brothers and sisters yeah. and fight with them for that moment, but also to question and actually to carry through the very things that I was studying, writing about a year ago, which was when I asked people on Facebook, when I say the word noble, who comes to mind? Mm. And the first name that came up was Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Mm. And there was this beautiful permission to me to dig even further, even deeper. And that's why I'm hoping that that's why since three years ago, things are changing in this conversation because I'm very aware of the depth of the pain and I do not ever want to come across as someone that wishes to dismiss that for the sake of comfort, convenience, and looking like we're doing the right thing. <laughs> yeah. And so um, I'm very, just like, just like MLK did in taking the suffering to themselves, what are we going to do to take the suffering to ourselves so that we could change the narrative, yeah. so that we can change the game? And if I can bring up, whether I have biological children and whether I foster children, perhaps it might be nice to have both. But I, I pray and I hope that of anything I can teach them is how to be noble. Yeah. Because if I can teach you how to be noble, you'll be wise. Because mm. you learn to be wise by being humble, by being integral, yeah. by being self-sacrificial. Yeah. And taking the hit for the road, you know? That's good. The most I mean, impactful thing that I ever picked up from Dr. King, and you're talking about a very flawed man himself, you know? Right. It breaks my heart when I look really deep into his life, his pain, his coping mechanisms. and um, Well, I even mentioned that in the book. Yeah. Because I think, like, I could feel, even writing it when I'm revering him, that I'm like, I can feel, I can feel some people having a problem with this. The same with Gandhi. And at the yeah. time I was writing the book, articles were coming out about Gandhi and the questions about his... Yeah, everything. ...his choices. Mm -hmm. And so I went, I think some people are probably even questioning right now why even mention these names when there are articles out there saying a very different story? Because people are thinking it's got to be perfection in order yeah. for it, there to be progression or but, that it's got to be polished yeah. and perfect. It's like, actually, what does it look like? I mean, we, you know, in BSSM, we yeah. study God's generals, you know, mm. and we're looking at the Amy Sibyl McPhersons, uh, you know, the Catherine Coleman's and, and all these other incredible individuals uh, who got it wrong in so many levels yeah. and got it right on so many yeah. levels. And there's the invitation to learn from the truth, yeah. the truth of how beautiful it was and the truth of yeah. how ugly it was so that yeah. we don't repeat the mistakes, yeah. but that we do repeat the virtues. That's and good. that means we've got to look at it in tension because That's we are it. humans who are held in a place of tension between our humanity and divinity. We're the yeah. ones that are breath of God wrapped in skin, yeah. wrapped in this fragile thing that will return to dust. Yeah. So what are we going to do with that? That means we got to own that piece. And how are we going to own it with nobility? Right. Not scrape it under the rug. Well, I think noble in, in nobility, you're courageous to face things yeah. and courageous to face the pain. Yeah. And one of the things that I was igniting with this, some of you guys are thinking this about these guys. I basically go, well, they haven't been taught pain just as much as we haven't been taught pain. Exactly. How to process it. And yeah. the kind of oppression or the kind of injustice they were facing and being at the forefront of it. Yep. I can't imagine the need and the desire to want to exert 
the frustration, the anger, the utter pain that they're going through and just hadn't been taught how to process it. And so therefore that's why we make, that's why we feel unmet pain Mm. will cause more pain. So real. And so there's this compassion that floods onto me again for them, mm-hmm. yeah. going, you know. And I mean, even like, just think about scientifically, just... where were we at with even mental health oh. at the time oh. of their leadership on this earth? Yeah, well, white coats and institutions. Exactly. There's so much That's more that we That's when you were know. really on the dark side. <laughs> oh, my things. gosh. Still doing shock treatments. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, gosh. all of that. Uh, you know, I, the part that I lean into, you know, those six principles of nonviolence, but the, the, the sheer bravery and willingness to embrace and absorb evil that Mm. it would no longer reverberate throughout the universe. Right. And I'm like, it it just, it it baffles me, like to a point where I'm like, I don't, my logic cannot understand that there's so much cognitive dissonance with that because everything in me wants to go into preservation mode, you know, safety mode, you know, fight or flight or whatever. But the fact that they would make a willful choice to mm. take the lashings to absorb the evil so that it would no longer ricochet and reverberate throughout Powerful. time. And, and, and I'm like, where, where else where? Do, have we had that? Yeah. And, I, and this is why, you know, there's, you know, there's the Black Power Movement. And I believe that there are tenets in it that are valuable and important that it would be great to pull in. But there's, there's this thing that looks like the cross. Mm-hmm. That if you want to end it once and for all, someone has to absorb it. And oftentimes, and this is the most difficult part of it, the key is with not the oppressor, but with the oppressed. Absolutely. In, in, in the redemption of the whole society. Yeah. The justice is on the side of the oppressor. Mm-hmm. They've got to make those crooked paths straight. Yeah. But the redemption is going to be in the hands of, of the oppressed as they make the decision to absorb the evil and to forgive and completely wipe the penalty as Christ did. Right. That is why Dr. King was so moved by Gandhi's work when he mm. went and said, I, and, and witnessed the societies, like it's almost as if the, the infractions never happened, the oppression didn't happen, because I can't find the residue of it in the people. Mm-hmm. Not just the, opp- the people who were oppressed. How is that possible? Mm-hmm. This nonviolence is the only way mm-hmm. if we're going to see the virtues of the kingdom released that is unto redemption, because we know we serve a redeemer. Right. And, and, and it's not just unto justice, it's also unto healing. But it's not just unto healing, it's also unto the restoration of God's idea, mm. God's original idea, mm. which is the ministry of reconciliation, it being reconciled to the Father, all these broken parts reconciled to Him. And I'm like, if we're ambassadors of that, then it's all about our God, our daddy getting his dream to come true, which means that we got to be about redemption, Mm. Uh, which means that we have to be about the full equation, the justice, yeah. the healing, and the unity, the going in unity, not waiting for unity to happen at the end, but going in unity to sit and mourn. Yeah. Going together to get the healing, going yeah. together to fight for the justice, mm. going together to redeem it all. And unity expect it to now. be messy, expect it to have labor pains, expect it to be um, forever. And be uh, willing to absorb it. Yeah, this is it. This is it. We're holding, we were holding hands in that moment. We were holding hands? It was <laughs> Her hands are manicured, show. though, in my Because <laughs> <laughs> I've been on the front line. now. I'm playing, I'm playing, I'm playing, I'm playing. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't there. I was getting my nails done. No, I'm just <laughs> I love you. Thank you. I love you, too. And you. Um, I'm so proud of you in all the things um, for quite literally being on the front line and for also 
from being a voice for the ones that are still trying to figure out where their words are, the ones who are mourning and don't know how to string a sentence together. Mm. Um, and I know you've had those weeks too, and I know you'll have them still, but um, I'm just praying for you, us, and all of this generation to start figuring out a new way, yeah, a better way. It's ordained. Yeah. I it mean, will happen. I'm, I'm just praying that our generation says yes, that it can happen in our time mm. and that we not pass this on to the next generation as the unfinished work that we make them have to do, but that we actually pass down to them a legacy yeah. of actually entering into the promised land. It's possible. It is possible. In Jesus' name it is. Amen. My tummy went. <laughs> <laughs> I feel a little bit too. I was like,